Thank you guys again for being here. Thank you, praise team. Uh, just a, a few quick things before we jump into today's message. Um, one of our one of the ladies here at our church um, who threw the Word of God and threw specifically this book and how it walked her through the Word of God um, brought in several copies of this book. Uh, we've had it out for a couple of weeks, The Art of Listening Prayer. Um, there are still three copies of that left. This is one of the three. If you would like a copy of this, please just feel free to take it with you. It'll be on um, our main lobby counter after the service. And also, uh, we have nine of our angel tree slips left. Um, if your family hasn't had an opportunity to get one of these, um, please um, pick up one of these on your way out today. All of the nine are in our main lobby just so we can keep track of them well. If you're at home after the service, we're going to be adding on to our online giving page a line that um, is just for um, Angel Tree. If you're not able to get out and shop, we have uh, some folks that have volunteered to be able to get out and do that for you. Um, if you would like to, if you are going to be doing your shopping but you're watching from home, um, you can come by after our service. Um, I'll be here to at least uh, 12, 1230 or so. You can come by today and go ahead and pick this up um, or, or get that this week. Those gifts do need to be in next Sunday. I know that's come around quick, um, but they really do such a good job with Salvation Army of uh, working with the kids and the families and really getting everything accounted for and making sure that all the needs are met. Um, so if you would please um, uh, do that as, as the best you can today, and we'll be, um, as a church, collecting those next week. You just bring them in if you can next week. I, we'll have more people bringing in next week. If you have some stuff you want to go ahead and drop it off today, you can. Just remember those tags need to be with it. Uh, but if you would, please bring those in our main lobby next week. It's just going to be a lot easier for us to be able to make sure all of the gifts for that child stay together in one place because when you kind of collect overall, we're, we're, um, we have 50 uh, of kids that we as a church family have been ministering to. Um, and, and again, if you'd like to take one to work, uh, I think that's a great idea to team up with some people. Uh, we're starting today our holiday series, which is A Weary World Rejoices. Uh, this past week was Thanksgiving. Um, if you like the artwork for this series, um, thank you, Ava, for designing this. She's also been working on some things uh, for us as a church family that we're going to be able to have in our hands um, this is really going to be cool. I'm very, very excited about putting that stuff in your hands to be able to really encourage other people. Uh, but we're going to be in this series um, up through the Sunday after Christmas and really look at some things that God shows us that are reasons to absolutely rejoice. Some people don't need a reason to be happy. Sometimes we just need a little bit of motivation to make sure that our hearts and our minds are aimed at the right place. This past week was Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Maybe your Thanksgiving gathering looked a little bit different. Um, ours did. We were outside, but the weather was phenomenal. It was great. Uh, we had a chance to walk around. We had lunch um, at Wendy's parents' house. They live out in a kind of real rural area outside, outside of Siler City. I don't even know what that's called. It's just it's outside of Siler City, so it's just... Um, the, the plains. I think that's the only description for it. Uh, but we had a chance to eat lunch out there. Um, and just because um, I do just enough good things for my wife each year, uh, the gift that I always look forward to on Thanksgiving are the sweet potatoes with the brown sugar and the pecans on top. Um, if, if you missed it, God never intended for you to put marshmallows on top of sweet potatoes. I don't know what that creates. If that's your thing, um, God bless you. I'll pray for you. It was supposed to be that other mix. That's the better one. If you've never had it, um, I will think of you the next time I'm eating them and pray that God reveals something to your heart. But I, I just, I, I, to be honest with you, it's kind of like you, I, we had one, we had, that was the amount of leftovers that we had from it. Um, and I got home yesterday and I said, has everybody eaten lunch? And when he said yes, so my assumption was no one was going to complain that I ate the rest of it. 
So I warmed it and ate it, and it was, it was good. It was very good. It's one of the main reasons I'm happy today. Um, but we're going to be in this series. Now, this morning, just to let you know, um, we're going to be, there's, I'm, I'm going to throw quite a bit of scripture out to you. Some of it you can take home, read, and look at. But today, I want to kind of set just a foundational thing for us to, to look at today because there's certain words in the Bible that we say them a lot. Or maybe we've heard them a lot because we've spent a lot of time in church. I, I, I don't, you know, when I look back in my life, I don't have a lot of memories that don't involve me going to church. Well, going slash, you know, my mom with her hand on my ear or something, but, it's, but, I, but I was there a lot is what I'm trying to say. And, and I just don't have a lot of memories that weren't me going to church. So there's certain words that I hear them and I know them. I can define them to you. And, and sometimes they're so common. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, but somebody asks you, hey, what does that word mean? And you've, and you've heard it all your life, and you go, hmm, like I know what it means, but I, I don't know how to put that in words right now. Well, the, the, the word that we want to put words to today is redemption. Now, I, I don't want to just do kind of like an educational talk. Like I, I want us to really hear what this word means, because in redemption, specifically redemption in Jesus, this is something that if we can really just let our minds roll around in and walk through, this, there is so much reason to rejoice just over this one single word. Some of the things I'm going to share with you um, are things that I, I pull back, way back notes, like stuff that I just happen to know where it was, even from classes that I took in seminary, and just some things that I wanted to share with you today um, and just help you kind of see how redemption plays out. So we're going to mainly be in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the book of Ephesians has got some really great just kind of theology in the first of it, application in the back of it. Um, but, but this specifically, I want to go ahead and let you know up front, this is written to people that are believers in Jesus Christ, people that are saved. Now, um, if you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus, um, I'm not here at this moment to convince you to or anything else. I really just want to say this. Please don't tune this out because you go, okay, well, that's kind of insider language. You know what I'm saying? You ever read a sign and, and you know that that sign excludes you? You just say, all right, well, that, that's not for me. Um, I, I, when I go into Lowe's, if, if something's not on stock on the shelf um, and, it, and it's up high, like at the top up high, you know, Lowe's has those ladders that are like a mobile set of stairs. And it says on there clearly that this is not for, cu for customers to walk on. But as I often have explained to my sons, I used to work in a warehouse, and I am sophisticatedly trained on that set of steps. So I choose to feel like that I'm not just a customer, that I have been previously trained for such a time as this. So I go up those steps, and I get the hinge, or I get the can of paint, or I get what it is that I need. And, you know, those little eyeball cameras really are pretty doggone accurate. Because those, those Lowe's people that you can't find, oh, they'll find you when you're on the stairs. Promise you, promise you, they will. They'll find you. And, and not, not at the bottom of the stairs. They'll get you right when you're on the top, okay? So I want you to do this. If you really honestly, genuinely, whether you're here or you're listening online, and you really question your relationship with Jesus, do I even really have one? Is it something that somebody actually can have? Don't tune out. Ignore the signs. Listen to this because um, before I came to know Christ, this had already been written. So the first time I heard it, it didn't feel like it was for me. But I found out it really was. It was already talking about me before I even knew that this was me. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 1, I want to I give you a couple of, I want to give you something just to kind of explain. Because when you read Ephesians 3 through 6, um, it, it sets the tone for what God has done, 
who we are in Christ, what he did about the gap between us. So what I'm going to do, instead of reading 3 through 6, I want to kind of read it as a question and an answer to you. Okay? So, so this is essentially 3 through 6. What did God do? Well, according to Ephesians, as he inspired this word, God chose and predestined us. That means that he had, he had acted even before we were alive on this planet, before we knew our own beginning. He already was mindful of what was going to happen in our life and who we were going to be. Well, when did he choose and predestine us? These verses say that he did this before the foundations of the world. And I love that, I love that idea because not, it's not that, it's that I want to be thought of, and I want, to, I want to be acknowledged, but, but when you read in Ephesians and when it specifically talks about Jesus, it, it recognizes him the, them this way, the one that was around before the foundations of this world. So, so the Jesus that walked on earth was part of the thinking of you and me before we even ever walked on this earth. For what purpose did he choose us and predestine us? Why did he even think about us that far in advance? For what purpose? He did it for himself, the good pleasure of his will, and the praise of his glorious grace. Now notice, this is, the, this is the ego check. God didn't think about me because I was so special. He didn't think about me because of any talent that I was ever going to have. He thought about me because he is so good. And through an imperfect person, somebody that makes mistakes and goofs up a lot, even through that person, other people can see him. And we can talk about him when we understand him. And it helps people know him because he's the only really one worth Knowing. Now, if he did that for his own good pleasure, for the, his, his own recognition, then, then what or who does that make me? According to these verses, it makes me an, a, an adopted child of God, meaning I started this life outside of his family, and because of the love and grace of Jesus, now I'm inside. And the great language of adoption in this culture was, once you adopt, that was, that was done. You could never go back. In our cultures today, you could reverse that process, but not in their time. Not in their time at all. What implication is there for being his child? These verses tell us that we are to live holy and blameless for his glory, for his attention. Not just so people congratulate us or think we're better, but because people can see him, the better we live. Now, all of this happens, as these verses say, through Jesus Christ. And, and, and that seems almost, almost impossible to us because everything in this world tells us work harder, study more, try harder, and you'll get there. And the gospel begins with, it doesn't happen without Jesus. Do you know a person like that in your life? You, is there somebody in your family, maybe in the home you live in, that nothing happens without them? In my house, nothing happens good without Wendy. Nothing nothing it will go bad quickly i'm not saying we don't do things i'm saying if it's quality doesn't happen without her and i think sometimes god has allowed us to live like that because he just he puts these these things in front of us all the time in front of our face just to remind us that god is present he's real and how much we need him i i've learned that in 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 my marriage just through that one thing now as we continue down, verse 7, this begins a little bit more of, of how we can understand how this happens in Christ. Now, for you and for me, being redeemed, being saved, happens in, in three categories. And, and all three of these are really important for us to really acknowledge and know about and remember because it helps us to see our life, past, present, and future. 
in what Jesus did for us. And, and nothing happens outside of him. So the, those things, these three categories, can't happen, can't be real without Christ. When you start in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption. The way Paul writes, if you're studying the New Testament, you're studying some of his letters, Paul will, Paul will take something like redemption and he'll wrap around it prepositional phrases that help you unpack it. Um, so he'll, he'll give you some phrases that help you kind of understand, all right, how do I need to be thinking about this idea, Paul, that you're communicating that God's put on your heart? If you notice, here's the phrases that are around redemption. Let me just read this and kind of come back and make sure we sing them. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So the three prepositional statements that help us to start to even grasp redemption is that it's in him, in Jesus, it's through his blood, it's through what happened in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and it's according to the riches of his grace. That, that means he didn't have to do it. Do you do things because you have to? Oh, yeah. There's lots of stuff we do that we just have to do. Uh, one of the big categories is called paying bills, right? I mean, if you had the option for December, and somebody said, you know what? This power bill, optional. This internet bill, optional. This mortgage payment, optional. Anybody here? Get, nope. You know what? Let's, let's do it anyway. It's the right thing to do. Now, we, would, we don't have to do that. And, and that doesn't come from, I shouldn't have to pay it. We know we should have to pay it. But we would still take the option not to do it. When it's in Christ, when it's by his blood, when it's from the riches of his grace, this tells us right up front, he didn't have to, but it also wasn't what he should have had to have done either. Now, again, I'll tell you, it happens in, in, in three phases. The first one I've already mentioned, it, it says that, that redemption through his blood, is, it, it covers the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, we, we realize, you, you know what sin is? Sin is anything wrong that we do in the eyes and the sight of God. Um, if, we, if we say, all right, God, you've got a standard, then whatever's not that standard, whatever's not equal to that is sin. In our past, in, in, in our nature, in, in our birth, we have this sin nature. And the things that we end up doing wrong, even before we're maybe even thinking through all the eternal spiritual implications, it's still wrong things. Do you give your kids a free pass just because they didn't know how wrong something was? No. I mean, if your kid at six years old jumps behind the wheel of your car because you left the key and it cranks it and starts backing down the driveway, you, you know what? They don't, they don't really know what an insurance process is like to, to fix these damages, so we shouldn't, we shouldn't punish them. No, I mean, you, you would have to discipline that kid because they have to know that that can't happen. Like that idea, even when it pops in their brain, can't be what they choose. So the sin that we have committed against the holy and perfect God is still against us. But in redemption, Jesus Christ, by his blood, pays for all the wrong, all the sins of our past. I mean, you think about it. That's not even reasonable. I mean, God could say, look, you, you, have, you have really messed up, Derek. We, we got to just start over. No, he, he acknowledges all that and makes all that justified with God. And it's not just my past because at some point in my walk with Jesus, if I'm not careful, I start thinking that I've become something in Christ. And I kind of say, I lose my appreciation 
for, for what's in my past. And I just say, you know what, that, that, that's just in the past. I don't, I don't want to acknowledge that anymore. I don't want to really, really rejoice over that. And I think we always have to rejoice over that because it helps us to also appreciate the present that we live in as well. As, as you read down here, verse 9, he, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that, the purpose in Christ, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. <clears throat> Why do we say that Jesus is the answer for everything? That, that statement, he brings everything together. You ever felt like your life has fallen apart? You ever felt like you couldn't get it together? Like you just couldn't get it together? Everything of, of substance and life finds its meaning in Jesus. That's why, and, 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 and just as a small example, and I, I don't, I don't want to go this, I don't want to go this route, but, but that's why um, in, in today's current culture, in 2020, in the moment that we're living in, we will have to decide things for the purpose they could have in Christ, not just off of what I want to do or what I don't want to do. Those are real decision-making factors. And when if I can find purpose in Jesus' gospel-driven kingdom purpose in something, then it's worth doing. Of course, anything that just comes down to desire is going to be a struggle for us. So why not want to find purpose in everything? Um, verse 11, in him we also, we have also received an inheritance. Now, this sounds like it's talking about the future, but, but before we jump into the future, I want you to listen to the rest of these couple verses. We've received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. This is in the present tense. That if we have put our hope in Jesus, we can bring praise to Jesus now while I live. This is the way that, first, that, that it's said in 1 Peter. Now remember, Peter, um, if you want to see a good glimpse of Peter, I don't know if you, have you watched The Chosen? Have you been watching those videos? It's an app that you can get on your phone. These are, these are my favorite um, videos that have been made about life with Jesus. If you have not started watching this, and, and I would encourage you to do um, what, what I've done is, 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 is pay into this because it, it opens this up for the whole world to watch. If you haven't seen The Chosen, download the app today. I don't, I don't promote a lot of stuff. Download the app today and watch this. They take what is uh, what we would call artistic license and liberty, but I've watched this thing and I've looked in Scripture and been like, okay, where can I say that there's no chance this happened? And you just don't find it. But you see some real life situations in these videos that will absolutely give chill bumps to your chill bumps when you see how Jesus just spoke to people and how he just connected with them. And we see Peter, and I love Peter in that because you can already see in just the ones that they've already filmed and done, you can see, and I love how it puts just kind of in my eyes and my understanding what it must have been like to be somebody so frustrating. And even Jesus said that. Best line in the whole time. He said, look, he said, if y'all keep questioning me on everything, he said, you and I are both going to be very frustrated. And sometimes I think that was like God's intention for me in the whole series to watch, just so he knows that I know I'm frustrated. But Peter, in wisdom, because God grew him so well in life, he writes it this way. Uh, uh, verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. In other words, why do I live for Jesus, why do I live like him? Why do I, why do I try to think about why I do things and what I'm doing and what I'm saying? Because that's who Jesus is, and that's the best way to show him, to give him credit, to give him glory. It, it, it doesn't just call us into the right kind of decisions. This is the redemption language. Verse 18, 
For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, I was redeemed from empty ways. In other words, the way that I would do life had an empty quality to it. It didn't have enough substance to it. It didn't have enough worth and reason and value. I was redeemed for that. I mean, if you think about it, if you really believe in Jesus, think about what it would be like to live life and then ultimately just get to the end and nothing. Just you, you deny Christ and, and, and to find out at the end of life that you've, you've rejected everything that was of real value to spend eternity away from him. Think about that, but, but then take that to the every day. That every day that I can have purpose, we're redeemed in our life as he grows us. That's, that's the redemption that we live in. But ultimately, there, there's even greater than this. Um, if you go to verse 13 and 14, back in Ephesians chapter 1, it says this, In him you also were seated with the pro, uh, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession. In other words, there is a future redemption that's going to happen. The Bible talks about the redemption of our bodies, that ultimately when we get to heaven, we will get a body. You know people that are sick with all kinds of diseases? Your family's probably a lot like mine. I've seen people, I've seen people pass away from cancer, heart issues, ALS, all these different things. And, and even just the pains that physically that we go through. We've seen all that ultimately to be redeemed in the future, even in our bodies. Now, I know some of you, you're going, you know what? I, I see my redemption of, of, of my future body as something I can work on now. Good job. Some of us are like, God, how big of a change can you make? Right? Like, let's, let's really see what redemption looks like. Let me go from this to glory. Right? I mean, that would be awesome. Bottom line, we are going to have a future redemption where everything, we, we are redeemed from anything that's imperfect. Anything. Emotion, thought, anything physical, anything just aggravating, it's all gone. All gone. We're redeemed from anything that's imperfect. That's what redemption in Jesus looks like. Everything in my past. Everything now as I live, he's redeeming this. He's helping me grow for that purpose because ultimately he wants to get me and you as close as we can get to perfection as we enter into the eternal stage of our existence with him. Now, just like Paul did a little bit, I want to I spend a few minutes kind of unpacking really what redemption looks like. And there's a few questions that I want to ask and kind of give you some, some explanations because I, I Redemption, I believe it deserves our rejoicing because it's so irrational and just shows the love of God for us even before we existed. One thing I want to, I want to look at just, just briefly in, in terms of redemption, and, and it's so easy for us to look at our life from, through the lenses of, our, of self, right? We, we, we look at how I feel and how I think about stuff. So let, let's, let's give into that for a moment. And let's look at, at, at redemption. Where, what did I bring to the table? Where did I start in this life? In chapter 2 in Ephesians, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That's not talking about Satan. That's talking about me, that I am 
I exist disobedient before redemption, before salvation. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So what, what is just our nature? What happens naturally in us before redemption, without salvation? What happens naturally is, is sin, is mistakes. It's, it's what we just find ourselves chasing. And, and, and that's, a, that's an internal check, okay? So, so as a believer, as we live this life, in our redemption that's happening now, when there's things in you or there's things in me that I identify as selfish, then that's an internal check that God's using to say, hey, you're giving in to your born nature, not your new nature. So this is an opportunity to shift your thinking, Derek, and think how you should as a new creation in Christ. When someone points out to us that we're self, we don't like that. But if it's for our good, it's something that we should at least as a believer be open to talking about and discussing. Now, Ephesians 5, 6, later in, in, in this letter, Paul writes this, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming to the disobedient. Again, talking about who we are. God's ultimate wrath. And, and, and I think sometimes we see Jesus and we think that God let up the gas a little bit. But in his word constantly, it talks about what is the, what is the punishment of disobedience and sin. And, and in here, clearly, Paul, someone who's redeemed, he said, listen, God's wrath was coming for that person. It was ultimate. It was going to happen. It had to happen. But in redemption, by definition, ransom by payment, reclaimed, our destiny, our life is absolutely changed. Because that's what redemption really means. It means that we've been bought back. There's a price that's been paid to claim us. Now, that's where we started as Romans 3.23 says, all, everyone falls short of what God's standard is. Now, how did Jesus do this? And I know as a simple thought, Jesus died on the cross. But let's not leave that for a second, okay? Let's not, let's not say it as if it's just simple. In Romans 8, 3, and 4, it says this, For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, in other words, God, God gave his standard to man, he said, okay, you are my people, live by my rules. And, and our inability to live up to it just weakened the whole structure. It says, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. So think about that for a second. God's rule was, all right, you, you, you live perfectly, or this is how you have to say you're sorry. God saw generation after generation after generation, just not able to live perfectly because of our nature. So God did. And when it comes to the way Jesus made this payment, that's so vital to look at and, and to appreciate that God would come to this earth to live perfectly. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus did exist. He did exist in human form. But because of his miraculous birth, he did, not, he did not enter this world with the same kind of sinful nature that he was guilty of like you and I did. Why was it so important that there was a conception of Mary and the Holy Spirit? Because if Jesus was born with sin guilt, then he had a debt to pay too. But God miraculously brought life in actual flesh so he would live this life 
But at the end of his life, when his death came time, there was no sin in him to pay. So in the likeness of flesh, as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, this is what this, is what this verse is saying. That, that God decided himself that he would make a substitution payment within us. He didn't ever change the requirement and the punishment of sin. He never backed off on it. You know what substitution is, right? Uh, you go to a restaurant and a meal comes a certain way. And it comes with just the standard sides. Do you live with anybody who just never accepts the standard sides, right? And, and you see, all right, this is what it comes with. And, 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 I, and I love that. It's, it's kind of like a give and take. Because used to, before everybody said, well, that's an upcharge, you could kind of negotiate with them. I was that guy. I'd sit at a table. If you take the pickles and lettuce off, can I go to hot chips? Are we, are we good with that? You, are, we, are, we, are we good? Can we, can we get on the same page? That's why Wendy doesn't like to eat lunch with me. So um, I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm more well-behaved now. She's fixed me in some ways. We do substitutions. And you say, okay, I, you know, I, don't, I don't want the fries with that. I want the steakhouse mac and cheese. And somebody goes, okay, well, that's an upgrade. There's going to be an additional charge. And we go, okay, yeah. Clearly, because I'm getting something better than I would have gotten. That, that's kind of how we think through substitution. That's what God did, in a sense, with Jesus. When, when our life... The menu of our life said, this is what your life comes with. Separation from God and punishment. God simply took that off of our plate and said, I'm going to put that on Jesus' plate and I'm going to hand his righteousness to you to share. Like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? When I deserve it, you didn't have to. Jesus was in, in flesh like mine. It didn't have any sin in it. He didn't owe it. And it says here that God did not back up on his own righteousness. That he himself would say, I will do it to be able to share with you and totally substitute. It'll never land. It'll never land on your plate at your dinner table. And I know that's just a basic illustration, but the way that sounds in my soul just helps me rejoice. It just helps me to rejoice. It, it's a substitution payment that happened in me. Now, if you go to Colossians um, 2, 13 and 14, um, he, it says that Jesus did that by his blood, by nailing it to the cross. Um, the, the wording in Mark 10, 45, Jesus claimed this himself. While on earth, he said this statement, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, that, that he knew when he was teaching and he was doing miracles, he could do all that. But he said, my job here is that I'm here to make the payment for you. And we just, we receive it over past, for our present, and all the way for our future. And, and, and we have that as a substitution. Not what came with my life, but what he gave me instead. Without even having to pay anything for it. Just believing, confessing. Now, here's how the payment was made, and, and, and I do think that this is, this is good just doctrine for theology for us to really kind of anchor ourselves in, J just so we understand clearly Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, 
whom God put forward. When, when God made this payment, he didn't pay this to, to Satan like we owe something uh, for sin to the one that really we see as the one that encourages our sin. God made this payment. He, he, he paid it to himself. Okay, so if, if, if we go to dinner, and, or if we eat dinner at your house, if my family comes over to your house, and we sit down, and I go, man, this, this meal is incredible. And you go, yeah, I know. And, and, and I'm so glad that we didn't have to go out and have to you know, eat at a restaurant where it's loud. We can just sit here, and we can just enjoy this. Like Before the dinner starts, and you prepared the dinner, do you ever say, hey, look, before we get started, we're going to do two things. We're going to say the blessing because that's what we do as Christians, right? And the preacher's in the house, so we're going to just ask him to say it. Um, but, but we're going we're gonna to pray, and before we pray, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take my wallet out, and I'm actually going to pay myself for the food that I fix. You go, that, that's just weird. You, you did all the work. Why would you then just turn around and kind of go through this process of paying yourself? Because God wanted to take away every glimpse that could look like I owe him something for what Jesus gave me free. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Because if I'm operating the business, I want people to feel guilty enough so that they act right. Is guilt not a good motivator for, for, for what we do? Sure it is. But he wants us to live for him guilt-free. Knowing what we have, but knowing the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, and again, it says that this was to show God's righteousness. God, God came himself to show us the perfect combination of love and how serious he was about sin. Just so that, just so that we wouldn't make the mistake and say that God backed off on his own deal. Because if God backed off on sin, then how could we trust him for everything else we need in life? How could we possibly trust him that eternity is actually going to be heaven? He had to hold that promise too, which seems cruel to himself. But it wasn't because it was his choice. It was actually his plan all along. Because, and notice this, and this is the end of Romans 3, 23 and 25. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God acknowledged, even in what he did in Jesus, that he sent him at a specific time, knowing that, that people would confuse God's actions and say, you know what, God, it looks like you've kind of gotten lax at this. It looks like you let some people buy with some things in history. Because God came and paid this payment himself. He said, listen, if you think that I have just let people buy with things, First of all, I said that I was going to be, I was going to be long-suffering. I've told you that because I'm a God of second chances, but I've got to give second chances out equally. But he said, just in case you think that I've gotten lax, I'll show you how serious I am, but I'll do it. I'll do it. Now that the payment has been made, what does our life look like? Now, I want to give you a few verses of Scripture. I'd, like for, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to go and read this this week because I think these, these are beautiful connections that God makes in the New Testament and in the Old Testament to show us that this was his plan all along. Okay, Because it, remember, these words were written at a date and time recorded by someone that heard these words or heard God speak directly. So the beauty of how God's word matches itself is, is, is something that really builds confidence and assurance in our life. Um, Luke 22, these are the words of Jesus. Um, in Luke 22, he's talking about, he's instituting the Lord's Supper, and he describes the Lord's Supper as the new covenant in his blood. You remember reading that? You ever heard that before? We do, um, when we do uh, communion here, he says this is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, um, that his blood, his sacrifice, began a new 
dynamic of relationship. Now, if you go back hundreds of years and, and read the writings of prophets in the New Testament, in, in the words of Jeremiah, through how, how God spoke to him, in Jeremiah, he talks about that there's going to be a new covenant that he's going to begin in us. And, and notice how he describes it. He said, I will put my teaching, this is the words of God, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And the they there is not just the children of Israel, it's everybody. So notice, this new covenant is different. Jesus said, hey, this is a new covenant. Remember, you've heard about this. And it's already been described, just so, just so there's accountability. It's always been described. This is going to be something new and different. And it's not going to be what's on the outside of you. It's going to be what's on the inside of you. If you go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, I will give you a new heart and, an, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Um, just, just FYI, uh, another internal check as believers. When we get so hard about something, hard-hearted about something, I will, do, I will not do this. I will never forgive. I will, when, when we see any kind of hardness, this is a reminder that, that a hard heart has, is not supposed to have any kind of home inside of a believer. It's the difference. He describes the heart. Uh, he, he gives it this, this tangible physical comparison that we can understand. Stone versus flesh, right? Your skin. Some of us are a little squishier than others. Squishy, not so squishy, squishy, right? You got it? So flesh, stone. Flesh, squishy, stone, hard. Hard heart. It's, not, it's supposed to be pliable. It's supposed to be moldable. It's supposed to be able to take some working. And that's the kind of heart that, that God says he's going to put into us. Um, if that was a tight view on camera, for those of you that watch at home, I apologize for that. He'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Remember, no, what would it say about our redemption? Redemption from my empty ways. With the Holy Spirit inside of me, part of my redemption is I have new ways. I have the, the commands of God, his law, his mind, his thought, his purpose. I have that inside of me the Holy Spirit is bringing out. And even to the point of the Holy Spirit says, listen, I'm going to be so active in you that I'm going to help bring this out because it's going to be against that nature that you were born in. I have all the help that I need to, to actually live like Jesus, to be able to rejoice and celebrate and tell people and share with people what redemption really is. Because if they can see a, a one change in me, they can believe the kind of magnitude, deep change that redemption can have in their own soul. I mean, think about it. When we look at people, how many times do we say this? Well, that person could never fill in the blank. That's why I believe that redemption, the rejoicing in that, gets us to believe that, that change is always, always possible, especially in somebody that's saved because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them doing all these things. Romans 8, 29 through 32 speaks about... Um, Further, how God is going to bring this about. But, but I, want to, I want to concentrate just on the last couple of verses because it starts with this, this all things idea. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Them that love God called and according to his purpose. All things. It says all things or everything three times in this. And it's connecting the dots. It's connecting them in thought in a process through this. When you get down to verse 32, it says this. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? So consider this. When God brought redemption in himself, if he didn't spare his own son Jesus, if this was the plan from the very beginning, then how can he be a God that sits up in eternity with his arms crossed saying, I'm just not going to give you what you want. I'm not going to give you what you need. 
Now, yes, we know that if there's something that's not good for us as a good father, he's going to withhold that actually in grace. But if it's something I really need, he, he just he can't sit there with his arms crossed. Because what is the example? He has set his own standard. He gave his son. If I gave one of my three sons, if I gave their life for someone in your family, would you ever even question coming to me and asking to borrow 20 bucks? No. Because what is the standard? That if I would be willing to do that, then why would I say no to anything less than that? Here's the beauty of it. Everything that I need in life is less than that. It is. If you really think through it, it's less than that. So why do we rejoice when it comes to redemption? And it, redemption includes all of my past. Anybody here got something you're embarrassed of, you wish you had never done? Anybody got something you ever feel guilty over? He redeems all that. You know, we're, part of what we're doing this Christmas season, I want to I I plug this intentionally right now. This is kind of a side from the message. Part of our end of your giving, the majority of our end of your giving, we're going to be giving to the, the pregnancy network, um, the, the, especially the local office that's based out of Greensboro. Um, when, when Jared and I went met, met, went and met with them this summer, they talked about one of the most, um, one, one of the most concerning things in our churches is that um, we will come to the room and we will agree on this idea that, that we want to value and we want to preserve life. But within a, every church congregation, odds are there are multiple women who in their past have chosen to give up um, their baby for abortion. And there's so many women that carry guilt and shame and embarrassment over that because of that decision that they just they sit silent and hurt when even you talk about it in church. And to the glory of God, we have organizations like that that, that do some of the best counseling over that no matter how long it's been. And, and, and I want to tell you this. What, what's the magnitude of redemption that we could have done anything and it's not just forgiven. But when you or I struggle to get over it, we have to know and rejoice that God will give us what we need. Why? Because the standard is so high that he's already given his son, Jesus, as the payment. So why? Why would he withhold anything else? Now, there's a difference in why he, of him withholding and me not receiving. That's a different counseling session, session for a different time, okay? There's a unique difference there. It's our past. It's our present. It's our future. It's new ways instead of our empty ways. It's everything that we need. Um, it, it means that we, as a believer, we can't have a hard heart. We need to have soft hearts. It means that everyone can change, and we have to desperately believe that. It means that everything that we do, think, speak, is um, it, it in itself has eternal significance. And, and, and part of my redemption is, is the process that I'm going through. This is what redemption means. And, and this is everything. And, and again, right at the beginning, how did, how did Paul unpack it? He never said, because you did this, because you need to do this, because you should be guilty about this. It was all in Christ, by his blood, from the riches of his grace. All from Jesus. Which means... That anything that you could ever think was an obstacle between you and God can't be, or God's got to be a liar. Because he did it all. When you go into scripture, it, and, and one of the verses that I didn't read, it, it, it even touches on this idea that, that it's even just, it's through Jesus that I can even believe in God. 
That means when, when my mind opens up to even just try to understand him, that even he is doing that. And if you feel like you are a screw-up or you can't get things right in life, or you feel like life is too... You, no, matter, no matter how you feel, no matter how you feel, because some of those things are very real things in our minds, and some of those things are very real and constantly in front of our face. But God's plan of grace through Jesus is simply to make sure that it was always it was always Jesus, it was always Christ that was going to be doing this for you and for me so that none of those things could actually have the power to convince us that I don't get to know God through Jesus. Because Satan wants to convince us that we don't deserve to know him. Fair point, Satan. Fair point. I don't deserve it. That's why it's called a gift. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called all these things. Redemption. Through this year, you and I, you, if you feel anything like I feel on some days, you feel like you've gone through a mile of effort for a foot of progress. Some of it has to do with this virus that's going around. Some of it has to do with the life situations that are happening while all that's going around. Oftentimes, we do feel weary. Because the amount of energy that we have put out does not seem reasonable for the gain that we've seen. We just simply want more. Please consider, as we study through God's word this month, that a, that a concept of truth like redemption, when it's requiring none of my effort, needs me, calls me to rejoice in that because Jesus doesn't want me and you to live weary. And he gives us this, not just to live in it, but to understand it and know about it, to concentrate on it so that, so that weary doesn't win. So it's time for us to rejoice. If you will, just maybe with your heads bowed and, and at home, just really concentrating. Our praise team is going to come back up just to help focus us towards a time as we conclude this service. Um, and Dale, if you could, if um, you will, after I pray, um, you can just lead into y'all's last song. Um, I believe that this idea of redemption is something that's really meant to give us joy. Um, and as we, as we hear this and as we leave this place, my prayer is that, number one, you've maybe captured a, enough notes to, to study this through the week. Um, if you haven't, let me know. I'll, I'll be glad to send you images of what I've just jotted down on my papers and some stuff that I've had. Um, but but I, I pray that this, that, that this carries through the week. I pray that right now, as, as, as your mind can see clearly the weariness of life, that, that you're seeing right now this morning, you're beginning to see real tangible big reasons to rejoice. Not small reasons. Not, not small reasons. We're rejoicing over big, absolute truth. And my prayer is that you're beginning to really capture this. And, and, and this morning has just been the first gift to unwrap, to say, that this word that maybe I've heard a lot in my life, what does it really mean? What has God really done in this? So, so, so my soul has a reason to cry out and say, Lord, thank you so much. Because we know, even, even, even in psychology, a, a thankful heart, thankfulness, can reduce the weight and the burden of worry. 
And redemption just aims us directly, deeply at thankfulness towards God and what he did through Jesus. Paying himself, paying himself as a substitution. It never hits your plate or my plate in life the way it was supposed to. Paying himself just to remove any question that we had earned. God, thank you so much for all that you do. God, thank you for who you are. Lord, as we worship and as we close our service now, God, I pray that our minds are committed right now to, 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 to rise above um, the noise of life and just to spend, God, if, it's, if, if we commit to nothing else, five weeks rejoicing, finding joy and proclaiming and celebrating, having it on our mouths enough and our minds enough to where it's conversation level stuff. Um, that, that it's in our thoughts so as we're working on things, um, a, a problem, a disagreement at home, an issue at work, um, on, on our drive to and from, wherever we go, God, that, that, that it's just, it's in us and it's coming out of us. God, so not, it's not just the work you do in me and in others, but God, it's also the work that you do through us into the lives of others. And God, I pray that right now we get what we need so bad. And Lord, we know that according to your word, you're not going to withhold it. You're not going to withhold joy because you've already given us Jesus. You've set the standard so high, God. There's no way your arms are crossed on us right now. And we, 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 God, we come to you because all we can do is come to you, Lord, to ask and to seek and to find. So, God, help us to walk with Jesus. Help us to find our joy in him, our strength that we need, our hope for every moment. God, guilt-free from the past, living in hope for the present, and God, longing for the perfection without blemish for our future, our eternity future, God. Lord, help us to see you for that, on that level. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Beginning of this month. While our theme is a weary world rejoices, that doesn't mean that we're just going to say nice things to override difficult situations in life. While you're here at church or times between our services, we want to talk about the things that make you weary so that we then can begin to also open our hearts collectively and individually for the conversations that bring us to rejoicing. Don't set aside your weariness for this month. Let's bring it to the table. Let's bring it to the table as we talk. Because ultimately, we want to get to rejoice. Amen? Let's sing.